Where is he? We have probes out. We're tracking all possible exits. He will pay for the Grand Inquisitor's... The Grand Inquisitor means nothing. Kenobi is all that matters now. Is that understood? Yes, my lord. I have been watching you, third sister. I know what it is you seek. Prove yourself, and the position of Grand Inquisitor is yours. Fail me, and you will not live to regret it. Bucketheads, Mayvar Tigar. Welcome to the 157th Obi-Wan. Oh my god, he's being dragged through fire episode of Mandovision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent, yet awesome Star Wars podcast. Remember, the best way to find us is, of course, on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Please make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How's everyone doing? We are just, I think I think many of us are still reeling from this week's episode of Kenobi. What a, what a, wow. I'm not sure any of us were expecting to go there just yet, but there we went. And we got something that was just <laughs> intensity, just so much intensity in that, in that, final act of the, of the of the episode my goodness gracious and you know it, it, it's it's not a bad thing to be wrong uh, and I was wrong and on some on some of the elements in, in for the show moving forward and I'm happy to admit that I'm happy to be wrong the only time it's bad to be wrong is when it's to your significant other and they throw it in your face all the time that's when it stinks so I try not to be wrong in those arguments. I don't mind being wrong about my Star Wars speculation. About when I when I play that speculation game, when I kind of put some ideas out there, I have no problem having those thrown back in my face. But nope, didn't get that one because what I got instead could be better. It's the, at the very least different, and it, it will lead the show into a different approach. You know, so so three episodes in now, yeah, I'm wrong about a couple things. It doesn't look like uh, that 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 the third sister Reva knows. Uh, or is, is is working directly for Darth Vader, kind of uh, you know, without the knowledge of the other Inquisitors. 
But that still, so that still begs the question: How does she know that Vader is, An is Anakin Skywalker? That seems to be a still a, a, a well kept secret. So it does lead credence to the theory that's been that's been floated around the internet that Reva is actually a survivor of Order sixty six from the temple. That she, as a youngling, saw uh, saw Anakin Skywalker killing younglings, killing other Jedi Knights, and so she that's why she knows these things, and she has. Uh, um, Memories from the event that even even Vader isn't aware of uh, that that she was a, a, a witness or participant in the events at the Jedi Temple, uh, and and again that does lead there is some some evidence pointing to that theory because if you go back to one of the one of the, the trailers for Kenobi we saw a difference different sixty six scene uh, at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, uh, so you know it's possible that, that flashback that opened up the first episode was in fact one of Riva's memories. And, and again, we don't know much about that character. We don't quite understand what her motivation is just yet. But again, the, the Inquisitors are all turned and twisted Jedi. And if Reva was, was a witness to the events of Order 66 at the temple, she would have the intimate knowledge that Anakin Skywalker... Again, and it's not, she would make the, the logical conclusion that it's Skywalker, that Anakin, you know, through various whatevers, became Darth Vader, turned into Darth Vader, morphed into Vader. So I, I, we'll see. I suspect we're going to find out some answers to, to that question very, very soon. An another element that I, that I sort of speculated on in, in last week's show, I think for the second episode, uh, was Obi-Wan's extreme reluctance to engage his lightsaber. And that when he did, it'd be like a really cool moment, a really cool transformative moment of, of sort of like Obi-Wan accepting that he has to become the, be the Jedi again, have the force flow through him. In a, in a way that he's been reluctant to do for this entire series. Well, he hasn't engaged with the Force the way that we want him to just yet, necessarily. He's still very reluctant to do that, doesn't feel it flowing through him. He's full of, you know, he's haunted. He's full of doubt and remorse and guilt and all these things that are, that are in constant conflict. But he had to fire that lightsaber up in this week's episode. Uh, he, he was put in a position where he was not going to have much of a choice. And so, again, I don't mind being wrong about that, too. But I think maybe the next time we get to see him fired up, it will be with, with him with Obi-Wan a bit more of uh, controlling his faculties, if you will, you know, a, a, the more confident Jedi Master will return to the fray. I think that's what we have to get out of the show by the end point, by the final episode, is we, we, we need to have our Obi-Wan, if not fully back, then on, on the journey back to, to getting to become the Obi-Wan that we meet in A New Hope. And again, I'm not sad about being wrong about these things, uh, because by extension, I didn't think we were going to get into a conflict with Vader just yet by the third episode. But here it was, and it was intense and glorious and wonderful. And it was Vader at sort of like the height of, of some of his evil power. Um, and we will talk more in detail about that in, in, in getting to the show. But I just kind of wanted to put it out there. This this podcast does not exist to, to uh, uh, I don't know, like pad my ego or something like that. Like I have been wrong about Star Wars speculation stuff more than I've been right. Uh, and it's that's again that's what I'm trying to tell people that that's part of the fun, that is part of the fun in talking about this episode, uh, or about this about Star Wars in general and, and about this show in particular because again Obi Wan the character I'm very very connected to I, I have strong feelings for the character, and it's nice to not know uh, the beats that are coming you know to kind of be surprised as we watch every single episode which is is really what I want to kind of get into. Uh, one other element I want to talk about before we talk before we you know, kind of dive into the episode proper is we got, we got to talk about what was going on, uh, over the weekend, basically, uh, you know, it, it, during the course, since the first two episodes dropped, 
up until this third episode came out on Wednesday, was the not surprising but always disappointing uh, sort of racist backlash against Moses Ingram and, and, and her portrayal of the character, the third sister, Reva. Uh, what I wanted to – again, I, you know – you know how I feel about it. Star Wars is for everyone except for racists. They can, again, they can F off. They can get F, get the F out. I got no time for you and that nonsense. All right. You can, you can say all that, all that stuff about uh, the, the force diversity, blah, blah, blah. You're wrong. That's just it. You're, you're wrong. Uh, that's your opinion. And this is my opinion. <laughs> but I think more people agree with my opinion than yours. So. I, what I wanted to really talk about was I was really very happy that Lucasfilm, that Star Wars, that Disney seemed to be more prepared for this sort of backlash coming than they have been in, in, in past instances with, you know, Kelly Marie Tran and John Boyega and, and Ahmad Best back during, even during the prequels. Ahmad Best got a, got a, all this stuff at the dawn of the internet. And, and Disney... Lucas, Star Wars people seem to be more prepared for this, to deal with this, to address this. They seem to have talked to Moses Ingram about this potentially happening happening, and the, and the high likelihood that it would happen, um, which is sad enough on its own. It's sad enough that they had to sit down, this actor, and be like, listen, here's what could happen, and we want you to be ready for it. There might be some racist fools that are going to come after you. That sucks. It sucks you have to do that. But at least Star Wars and, and Lucas and Disney are, are, are seemingly uh, catching on to the toxicity in the fandom that it does exist. And that, that podcast like, my, like mine that you're listening to, you know, but in whatever small contribution I can make, want to sort of weed out that toxicity in the fandom. It, it, there's no place for it. There really, really isn't. If you're mad at the product, if you're mad with the direction, that's okay. That, that, that's completely your prerogative. You don't have to like this, Star Wars. If, if the original trilogy was your jam, if the prequels were your jam, and that's it, you don't like anything since, at least you got those three. Or whatever element is you like. And, and maybe it's time to start voting with your wallet and stop supporting Disney. Stop supporting, stop buying Star Wars toys. Stop buying Star Wars comics. You know, let your, let your uh, unhappiness be felt monetarily. That's the best way to do things in, this, in a capitalistic society. You going on the internet and being... Just awful is not going to really do anything except expose that you're awful. <laughs> and there is an element to that that's like, okay, well, well, cool. At least we know who the awful people are now, and we can kind of keep them over here. Be like, oh, look, they're awful. Unfollow, unsubscribe, do all that stuff, and, and kind of silence them in that way. But again, I, I just want to sort of want to talk about that a little tiny bit. Sad that that Lucasfilm and, and Disney and Star Wars had to, had to – prepare Moses Ingram for the possibility of this. Uh, but I'm glad that they were quick to react. And uh, I was very delighted to to see Ewan McGregor's video that he posted in support of, of Moses Ingram and and all the people on social media who posted their support of Moses Ingram as well. So uh, uh, if you took the time to, to do that, to, to, to stand with Moses Ingram, uh, then then uh, right on, well done. And yeah, let's 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 move on into the episode now. Uh, because there's a lot to get to with this episode. It's a very action-packed episode of the show, and we should talk about it properly. Uh, there is one other element that we're going to bring up at the, at the end of the show we're going to talk about a little bit about. I got a, I got a social media question that I want to talk about, but I'm going to put that at the end of the show because, again, we're 10 minutes in. 
10 plus minutes in, and I really want to talk about the show. All right? So this is the Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 3, a.k.a. Part 3, original air date, Jan- oh, June, January, June 1st, 2022, our plot this week, Obi-Wan searches for allies as he attracts the attention of the Empire, threatening the locals. Our principal cast this week, once again, Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Vivian Lyra Blair is Leah Organa. Moses Ingram is the Inquisitor. Sung Kang is fifth brother. Rhea Constelt as fourth sister. Zach Braff is Freck, at least the voice of. Indira Varma is Tala. James Earl Jones and Hayden Christensen are Darth Vader in a big, bad way this week. And that is our principal cast for the episode. Uh, once again... Directed by Deborah Chow, written by Joby Harold and uh, Hannah Friedman this week. She co-writes the episode with Joby Harold. Uh, I talked about it on social media last week, and, and I wanted to to mention it again here on the podcast in case I didn't talk about it enough last week. Deborah Chow is directing the crap out of this series thus far through three episodes. She has done a a bang up job, has shown us some really really neat stuff that we've not seen in Star Wars before. This week's lightsaber battle, uh, illuminated by the lightsabers themselves, I thought was pretty darn awesome to look at, and and it just I I have nothing but but high high praise for the work this woman's doing for us. Um, and one of the reasons why I got, I got on social media last week is because, you know, I don't disagree with the, with the sentiment that, you know, give Bryce Dallas Howard her own Star Wars show or movie to direct. I have I'm I'm all aboard on that. But at the same time you're saying all this, there's another female director out there who who just put out two episodes of a, of a show and kicked the holy crap out of out of it, all right? Did a, just a bang-up job, and it felt weird that there was like this big social media swelling for Bryce Dallas Howard to do something. Um, and meanwhile, we got Jebba Chow giving us awesome Star Wars currently, and not enough of, of, of us were talking about her at the time. So I wanted to put a little bit of, a little bit of the spotlight back on Deborah Chow, who I think is... Again, just doing a phenomenal job with this episode. I'm sorry, with this series. My goodness. All right. I think we got everything we need to do out of the way. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode itself. You know what that means. It's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Can't you make this thing go any faster? It's a trade route, Leia. I'm not in control of it. Can't you use force on it or something? That's not how it works. How does it work? The Force. What does it feel like? Have you ever been afraid of the dark? How does it feel when you turn on the light? I feel safe. Yes, it feels like that. The episode opens with Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Leia, of course, on board that cargo freighter heading towards Mapuzo, which we'll talk about when we get there. Uh, but we find Obi-Wan kneeling, attempting to commune with his former master, with Qui-Gon Jinn, the, the Force ghost that we know he's become. Uh, but again, still unable to, to contact Qui-Gon, to reach out. Again, we, we, we still, I still believe Obi-Wan firmly is, is not embracing the force as fully as he once did again he's haunted he's shaken he's uh you know lack of confidence lack of 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 
trust in himself, you know, the, the guilt, racked with guilt and the failures of the past. Uh, Obi-Wan has sort of, I, I don't know if fully disconnected, but at least is, is resi- resistant and reluctant to engage with the Force. And, and so he's unable to get answers from, from Qui-Gon. He's sort of like pleading desperately to, to thin air for answers, for confirmation of what he's just been told at the end of Episode 2. And that is his former Padawan, his former best friend, Anakin Skywalker, is in fact still alive and now goes about the galaxy as Darth Vader. Obi-Wan is shook by this, and, and you see that in these opening moments of the show. Then we cut to the, to the lava fields of Mustafar and gaze upon Vader's fortress on Mustafar. As, as it, it's, uh, actually, before that even, as Obi-Wan's kind of going through this, this emotional journey that he's on, you know, the, the questioning the, the validity of, of what, what the third sister has told him, uh, we're seeing Anakin, a.k.a. Darth Vader, kind of be put together, you know? We got that flash of his eyes opening in the back to tank at the close of Episode 2. Uh, and this time we're seeing him get all suited up, have his prosthetics, you know, attached, have the armor put on him, the, ch- the, the respirators for the breathing, the helmet, all of it. It all kind of comes together uh, in, in the sort of like in sort of like that that montage you're so familiar with from from like a Batman movie where you see him suit up. Now this is this is the Vader suit up, and it's much more terrifying because you see just how badly uh, uh, burned and and the, and the the amputated limbs and and everything. It's just it's 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 a really intense intense scene as 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 we're watching Vader kind of be put, be assembled here. But then we cut to Mustafar. We go into Vader's throne room, see him on a throne in communication with third sister Reva, and uh, she's quick to pass off the killing of the Grand Inquisitor to Obi-Wan Kenobi, despite Obi-Wan's real reluct- real serious reluctance to, to activate his lightsaber, as, as we will see again throughout most of this episode. Uh, but Vader does not care at all about the death of the Grand Inquisitor. So I, I want to pause there real quick, because again, we talked about that. We don't really know much about the Grand Inquisitor. If he, is he really dead? Is there another Grand Inquisitor of the same species who will rise in, in, in this one's place so that the timeline for Rebels is assured? There's, there's still a lot of options there. We still don't know things. We know that the Grand Inquisitor and Reva did not see eye to eye. Perhaps the Grand Inquisitor, again, not dead, laying low, perhaps planning some sort of uh, sting operation to, to expose Reva and, and her insubordination I, again there's a there's a lot to sort of uh dissect there to figure out to see what's going to happen and we still got three episodes to go to, to see how that's going to shake out so let's not get too concerned about the su- supposed quote-unquote final fate of the grand inquisitor let's see how they how they handle it by the end and if they still have not addressed it well then we might have some questions to talk about but yeah so from there you know vader makes his threat but we also What's also really great about that scene is, I think most importantly, the return of James Earl Jones, now officially confirmed, we're back as the voice of Vader. And, you know, it's, I think it's one of the elements of, of, the, of the being Darth Vader that sometimes goes overlooked, is that it's sort of like this dual performance, because the actor in the suit, in this case Hayden Christensen, has to sort of have an idea of how these lines are going to be delivered, and and... You may have a pretty good idea because James Earl Jones's uh, Vader is insanely memorable. You know, when you when you read the books that Vader's alive for, 
I mean, you hear Vader's voice. You know the speech pattern. You know the intonations and the tones of that character. So I've, I've, I've sort of really liked to, to hear Hayden Christensen talk about, you know, the, the going through that. And he's saying the lines uh, that Vader's going to be saying so that the body moves in the right ways. Uh, but then you get dubbed over by James Earl Jones. And, you, you know, at this point, Hayden knows that's going to happen. Like, that's in his head already. Uh, so it's just, again, it's just sort of like this wonderful dual performance that two actors come together to be the most menacing figure in the galaxy. And, and uh, it's really, really awesome. But now we cut back to the ship. Uh, Obi-Wan as in kind of like a silent reverie of a uh, reverie is not the right, right word I want. But he's, he's just silent, remorseful, and, and he's attempting to repair Lola for Leia. Get that like, really wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully nice, wonderfully pretty explanation of what it's like to use the force to feel the force and you know i think at this point it's safe to say that 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 leia hasn't displayed any sort of force powers of her own at this point or else she would be on the empire's radar so that's that's for the best that that kind of stays in in track with with what we know of the of the canon if she were to have been displaying these powers as we found out in this episode the empire has been hunting down children who who show any sort of force abilities whatsoever so the fact that leia either is not showing consciously or subconsciously is good for her and again, has to track for the for the for the through line that is Star Wars canon. So good, good stuff there. And now the ship's coming down for a landing at Mapuzo. So let's go ahead and check in with Obi Wan as he talks about, gives us a little bit of detail information on Mapuzo itself. Here we go. What is this place? Mapuzo. It's a mining system. Coordinates say the meeting point is further north. That is, if our new friend was telling the truth. Why would he lie? People are not all good, Leia. Wasn't always like this here. There were fields and families. And then the Empire came in and ravaged it all. All right, I want to pause it right there because the next part of this conversation I think is really interesting and something we have to keep in mind when we're at this point in the Star Wars timeline in, in this 10 years post Revenge of the Sith and 10 years prior to A New Hope uh, and that's that's this part about how you know the Galactic Empire has risen from the ashes of the Galactic Republic and yes we know as the audience we know what the Empire is um, but there's still people in the galaxy that are trying to do right by the people of the galaxy, by the people of the former republic, and and they mention that they mention specifically Bail Organa, and 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 how he's trying to, you know, protect freedoms and liberties in in whatever way he can, as a member of the Imperial Senate, but again, we know what the Empire is, but I, I think it's it's it, it bears talking about uh, in this episode as, as to to keep in mind that at this point it's not full blown. You know, uh, uh, there's this illusion at this point in the, in the Star Wars galaxy that that the Empire is not a, a, a fierce dictatorship, right? Like there's this illusion that the Galactic Senate, the Imperial Senate, um, is able to, you know, do what it what it what it's supposed to do, right? Like there's this 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 falsehood that democracy still exists in some way in the Star Wars galaxy. 
Uh, and, and I think that's important to keep in mind at this point. And, and we'll talk about that as we, as we get to meet Tala, an Imperial who believed in the cause at first until she found out, discovered the truth through, through her time serving the Empire about what they're really all about and how it's no good. But yeah, I want to check out, check out this last part of the conversation here. But the Empire was supposed to be helping us. Well, there are some, like your dad, who are trying to. Seems like a losing battle these days. Boom. And this is when Obi-Wan, again, haunted by the information that Anakin Skywalker lives, has a vision of his former Padawan, his former best friend, on the field. And again, it's, is, it, is it through the Force? Is it his mind just playing tricks on him? Um... Who's to say? But Leia doesn't see anybody over there, and and again, this is this is a, a very different Kenobi than we've seen prior. You know, we've never seen Kenobi shaken in this way. We've seen him down. We've seen him uh, on the ropes, but this is a defeated Kenobi. You, you know, the ten years of guilt, ten years of remorse, ten years of what ifs have have just beaten him down, and. Now the knowledge that Anakin lives and is Darth Vader uh, is 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 racking even more havoc on his on his state of mind and in his um, this just just we'll just go with confidence at this point. I mean, he just doesn't believe in himself anymore, and and now this revelation that Anakin lives and is is this this horrendous monster enforcer for the Empire for the Emperor is is uh, is not sitting well with him. Now we cut to Nor and the Fortress Inquisitoris, which is straight from the video game, the Star Wars Fallen Order video game, which, if you've not played, I highly, highly recommend. It is fantastic fun, really, and and uh, a really challenging game if you're into those sort of things. I, at least I found it challenging, but uh, I am not quite the button masher that I used to be back in my prime. But still a fun game, and I did get through it eventually. It took some time and dedication, but I was relentless in my pursuit of victory in that game. And it was a lot, a lot of fun, really good stuff there. But yeah, we're, we get to go to Nerd, the, the, which is the ocean moon that the Inquisitors are based on. We get to go to the base. Again, we're seeing it for the first time because we're like, you know, in real life, quote unquote, uh, as opposed to from the video game and from the Darth Vader comic books. Uh, Reva's returning to the base. She's going to sit down. Well, she's not going to sit down. She's going to have a little conversation with fourth sister and fifth brother. And fifth brother not happy about Reva's sort of presumed command. Uh, now, as as third sister enters the chamber, uh, I want you to note on either side of her along the, along the walls by the door, it looks like various lightsabers, uh, the helmets that younglings, we saw younglings wearing back in the, in the uh, Jedi Temple on Coruscant, uh, and they, they line the wall. It's a lot of lightsabers and quite a few helmets of younglings. So presumably trophies of the Inquisitors and, and, the, and the Jedi and Padawans and, and younglings that they've killed in their time. So, yeah, it, it's funny. I didn't catch up the first time around, but on my second watch through, I was like, ooh, yeah. And then uh, it was later confirmed. Well, confirmed, but also talked about on, on, the, on, the, on social media. I was like, oh, cool. I wasn't just the only one who saw that. So good news there. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't caught that the first time around, check it out now. But let's go ahead and hear the conversation, the sort of animosity that fifth brother continues to have for third sister and, and her presumptions and her arrogance. And, and uh, again, sort of like this feud between the, the Inquisitors and, and um, 
it's just interesting. Just take a note of it all. Here we go. He's in one of the mining systems. You do not know that. He could be anywhere. I traced the manifest. We should send out all remaining probes now. You are not in charge here. That seat is mine, not yours. I am the next in line. I just spoke with Lord Vader. You spoke to him yourself. He asked me to lead the hunt. Unless you feel I should follow your orders instead. Send out the probes. Do it now. I will get what I deserve, third sister. And so will you. I hope so. I certainly hope so. So what is it that she deserves, right? What is it that uh, Reva herself thinks that she deserves? I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder about that myself. Uh, the, the way this episode sort of plays out, the way she sort of is playing this game against the Inquisitors, you know, having this information about Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, you know, again, leaning into the, the notion that she is potentially a witness to the massacre at the temple by Anakin Skywalker in the 501st. Um, I sort of got it in my head, and I'll share with you all uh, and, and if I'm wrong, I, and, and I, I highly, highly think I'm, I'm dead wrong, is, is that, you know, Reva, more than anything, wants an explanation. She wants to know why this happened, how this could be allowed to happen. Especially if she were a youngling at the temple, she would want to talk to Obi-Wan, who came there after the fact. She would want to know why they were abandoned, why they were left behind. And, and... You know, maybe, and if, if this show gets really dark, maybe Reva wants to be killed by Vader to reunite with her her former master, her former uh, uh, younglings and, and Padawans. It, it, if you want to get really dark, there's some places to go with this. I really like this scene by Moses Ingram, the way she sort of has like this passive-aggressive tone, but it's also so, sort of subvertly... Uh, subvertly arrogant at the same time. I think this is really, really a nice performance, uh, and it's, it's very a different. It's a very different intonation than we've seen from other other villains in Star Wars thus far. So I I really like what Moses Ingram is bringing to the table here, and and a lot again this character sort of. It's sort of a, a linchpin for the show in many, many senses because we know Obi-Wan's ultimate fate. We know Anakin's ultimate fate. We know Leia's ultimate fate. Like, they're sort of the... As, as important as they are to the show, as, as, as much of a driving force as they are to the show and, and the action and the mysteries and all these other things, Reva is the character that we, we kind of have to, to ride along with because her fate is not known to us. Right, like there are certain things that have to happen in this show, but Vader's not dying, Obi Wan's not dying, Leia's not dying. Uh, so, so Reva and some of the Inquisitors, these are characters that we, we should be more interested in their particular journeys. And Reva's, I think, is shaping up to be a, a really, really nice little bit of a mystery here. 
and I am intrigued to see what happens with her next. Uh, so we're going to cut back to Mapuzo here in a, in, a, in a moment, catch up with Leia and Obi-Wan, as Obi-Wan will be very, very distraught in a moment as he realizes no one is waiting to pick him up, and he believes he's been misled by Camille Najiani's imposter Jedi, uh, Haja. Oh, I forgot his last name already, but you know who I'm talking about from episode two. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, we'll get ready for that in just a second here. But uh, just side note, Mapuzo, this is the first mention of Mapuzo ever, and uh, the cover story that Leia and Obi-Wan come up with, that they're farmers from Tall. Tall, also first appearance of, first mention of, so it's not a connection to any other sort of uh, extended universe or old legends canon or anything. It's uh, first mentions of. So let's go back and hear Obi-Wan be just very, very uh, disappointed, yet kind of happy that he's correct in his, his assumption that people are just going to let you down like Haja did to him. But before we do go back to Mapuzo, a really cool, I thought it was a real cool sequence of seeing how the probe droids are sort of assembled and then launched into orbit from the Inquisitor's base. I thought that was really, really, really cool. Uh, now we'll go back to Mapuzo. Obi-Wan's going to lay out the cover story. We get a nice shot of sort of like the topography of Mapuzo. Uh, looks a lot like Southern California. As a resident, it looks kind of familiar. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Uh, and yeah, let's, let's go ahead and hear Obi-Wan's disappointment that when he reaches the rendezvous, there's no one there. Now remember, if anyone asks, we're farmers from Tor. You're my daughter and you don't talk. I can't talk or I don't like to talk. You don't talk. Got it. This is it. This is where he told us to come to. Maybe they're just late? Maybe it was a lie. Knew it. I never should have trusted him. We don't know if maybe... No one is coming here, Leia. Well, if we're on our own, we're going to need some help. So, so it's sort of um, a very, you know, I, I, what's the word I want to use it here? It's not like it's a pivotal moment for Leia or anything like that, but like this is sort of Leia, right? Like the sort of a, a, assertion that... She can take control of this situation and come out the other side, and they're going to be a okay. Uh, I, I, again, I'm still enjoying young Leia here. Uh, you know, maybe not quite as, as sassy and precocious as we saw in the first two episodes, but again, sort of that, that that confidence she has in her abilities to get them out of whatever sort of scrape or jam that they find themselves in. Now, again, she's still young and a bit naive, and she's about to trust the wrong person. But uh, you know. Obi-Wan didn't have any better ideas. Let's be perfectly honest. What do they do? Just like walk around on Mapuzo and hope they come across a shuttlecraft or something? Uh, so in, in in light of that, Leia sort of takes charge. It's a very Leia moment in that regard to see her sort of taking charge at such an early age here and, and Obi-Wan kind of having to, to play the part. Uh, I think it's it's pretty funny. In, in an episode that uh, that is just racked with high-intensity moments, our, our, our sort of le- levity stuff kind of comes here in these in these lighter moments when they first met uh, Freck. Freck, by the way, and also a new unknown species t- at this point. So if we get more details on that, we will happily pass that along. But Freck, new in the Star Wars canon. Let's check out the scene. Hi, I'm Luma. 
this is my friend, my father. This is my father, Orden. We're farmers from Tall. Hey there, I'm Freck. Father, aren't you going to say hello? Hello. We were going on a trip and we got a little lost in this field. That's a weird story. We got a bit turned around. We're looking for the nearest port. We need to get home. Well, I'm going that way. Jump in. Oh, no, that's all right. Thank you. We just need directions. Come on, Father. We've walked long enough. Thanks, Brad. My pleasure. Hop in. Yes, at this point, as Obi-Wan goes around to the back of the this little truck transport that Freck is driving, that he sees the Imperial flag and plays on the back of it and gets like, oh, this maybe is not such a good idea after all. But yeah, I like that moment there <laughs> with, with, with Leia sort of taking charge and Obi-Wan uh, just kind of going along for the ride there until he has to kind of step in and, and make the story somewhat slightly more plausible. And we get Obi-Wan to say hello, but no hello there. So that, that becomes a question, right? Again, we all love Obi-Wan's catchphrase. Alec Guinness says it. Ewan McGregor says it at various points in the, in the prequel. Will our Obi-Wan in this series get that confidence, that self-assuredness that he used to have to drop us a nice hello there at some point in the series? That might be even more important than him actually turning on the lightsaber, which he does in this episode again. So, spoilers. <laughs> but... This moment, this 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 scene leads us into a nice moment where again Obi Wan and Leia able to sort of have a dialogue with each other, communicate with each other, kind of open up to each other, and, and we get to find out some other information about uh, Obi Wan down the road here. That's that's again, there's really good stuff. Oh, and also there's an awkward encounter with stormtroopers because why wouldn't there be on a heavily occupied Imperial world like Mapuzo? So in the first part of the journey, we, we find out that Freck does have, again, as his truck indicates, uh, kind of a big fan of the Empire at this point. You know, he, as he says, nothing wrong with a little order in the galaxy. Uh, and Leia and Obi-Wan kind of go along with like, oh yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, then it's at this point that Freck stops the truck because a, a, a gang of stormtroopers are heading his way. I guess whatever transport they were waiting for is running late. So they're going to catch a ride with Freck to the, to the next location they need to be at. Uh, and that leads to uh, some questions that Leia and Obi-Wan, uh, un under their, their new aliases of Luma and Orin, Oban, Orin, Orin, have to uh, address with these stormtroopers who are asking some questions because they're, these stormtroopers are out looking for Jedi scum who may be here on Mapuzo. You a miner? Farmer from uh, Tall. What are you doing out here? That's a long story. It's a long way. He brought me here to see the place where he met my mother. Poor she. She's not with us anymore. It's a very difficult time. What about you? Do you have any information about a Jedi? I wouldn't know one if I saw one. You haven't heard anything. Nothing. Are you sure he's even on this planet? They know what they're doing, Leia. It's just... You called her Leia. Just I... I thought her name was Boomba. That was her mother's name. I get confused. Like I said, it's not been easy. 
Sometimes when I look at Luma, I see her mother's face. And the the exchange of looks between Leia and Obi-Wan in this sequence, I think, is, is really spot on, really fantastic. Because, as, as he indicates in the last episode, I mean, he sees... Again, there's wild speculation about who he's really talking about in these scenes. But I, I, I feel like to think he's not talking about any but about anyone but Padme Amidala is uh, fantasy, is, is, is wistful wishing, is, is, is wishful thinking, sorry, <laughs> is wishful thinking. Sure, yeah, yeah, he could be talking about Satine, he could be talking about other people. There's, there's some other uh, uh, things that, he, that could be going through Obi-Wan's mind, but I, I think, by and large, we have, to kind of, we have to kind of stay with the through line here. Obi-Wan knows her real mother, her real father. She looks at, at young Leia and sees Padme and probably oh, uh, probably Anakin at the same time. So, And I love this moment where, where, where Obi-Wan gets tripped up, calls her Leia, and they have to kind of come together to kind of keep their story aligned. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a neat sequence. And it, there's a decent amount of tension here too because, again, Obi-Wan's not on the top of, top of his game at this point. He's not uh, getting it all together. But... Ewan McGregor does such a wonderful job with his performance, just like the sort of like the subtle movements, the keeping the cloak sort of wrapped around him, kind of protecting him in in, in some fashion uh, as he's engaging with these stormtroopers who he knows are out looking for Jedi. And, I, and also, I love the line of like Jedi, I wouldn't know one if I saw one. Uh, it's 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 a, a really subtle moment of performances, and I think that's one of the things we need to talk about. Uh, about Ewan's performance thus far in the series, but I'll try to save that for a little bit down the road because, uh, you know, we're not getting a lot of insight into Obi-Wan's mindset, into his state of mind. He's not externalizing, like, his, his sort of thoughts. Like, we're having to infer as the audience from his expressions, from his the way he is, his body language is, is working. So I, I think it's a, it's a subtle yet powerful performance that Ewan's given us thus far without him sort of vocalizing what's going on in his head, what's going on in his heart uh, at this point for, for Obi-Wan, which is uh, interesting. It'll be, it'll be a pretty cool moment, I think, if it happens, when Obi-Wan sort of has to open up and come clean a little bit about some things to Leia um, and... and, and, and sort of unburden himself. I would assume he's going to do that with Leia, but I, we'll, we'll see how this shakes out over the next three episodes. Um, but yeah, Obi-Wan and Leia, they've bought themselves a little, bit, a little bit more time from these stormtroopers, but there's always more stormtroopers on an Imperial-controlled planet. Can't help that. But, but, before we get to that point, remember, this, this exchange right here, this moment where Obi-Wan is telling Leia that she reminds him of her mother gets Leia thinking, and it causes a question for after the Stormtroopers have departed. And I want to play that uh, little bit of conversation as well. Check it out. What? You knew her. My real mother, didn't you? It was just a story. The whole time I've known you, you've been hiding something. Lying to me. Leia. Are you my real father? I wish I could say I was. But no, I'm not. It's 
Sometimes I try to imagine what he was like. I know that feeling. As Jedi, we're taken from our families when we're very young. I still have glimpses. Flashes, really. My mother's shawl. My father's hands. I remember a baby. A baby? Yes, I think I had a brother. I really don't remember him. And I wished I did. Then I joined the Jedi and I got a new family just like you. So he's connecting with Leia in a way that she can understand, right? That they, you know, had their birth family, found new families to, to be taken in, become members of. Uh, it's a really wonderful exchange. This is sort of like the heartfelt moment of the show as these two characters that are very, very different are learning how to uh, connect with one another. And, and I love Obi-Wan getting to open up in this, in this way. We don't, you know, Obi-Wan's very guarded. To hear him talk about uh, his past before being a member of the Jedi's is uncommon <laughs> you know like that we don't know much about obi-wan's past because obi-wan doesn't know much about obi-wan's past that's that's how the jedi order works at its at, at its heights right you know they're taken uh, as children very very young i i think it's in uh claudia gray's book master and apprentice where obi-wan references uh, joining the order when he was three being to being taken from his from his birth parents when he was three years old uh, and that sort of leans into this. And, you know, I, I could imagine around being around three-ish, you do have some very early flashes of memory from from your time with these people. Uh, and and it's 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 sort of like this oddly touching moment, like you know, again referencing like his, his mother's shawl, his his father's hands, things like that. Uh, and and Ewan delivers it so so beautifully, so eloquently uh, that I think it deserves a little bit of extra attention on it. It's 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 a really nice scene. And then if you want to get kind of into the some of the crazy parts of it. You know, the idea that Obi-Wan has a brother. This is not the first time that's been a thing. Uh, if you have ever read the novelization of Return of the Jedi, you will know that in that, the, 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 the author who adapted the screenplay, uh, he, he did what Lucas had originally done in like the, one of the early treatments, which was Owen, Uncle Owen, was originally Obi-Wan Kenobi's brother. That was sort of how that was originally conceived by George Lucas and then put into the novelization of Return of the Jedi. But, you know, Lucas sort of went back, retconned this, changed things, and solidified it that, no, 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 Owen is actually Anakin's stepbrother. And that way there's a little bit more of an actual family connection for Luke to Owen, as opposed to being raised by Obi-Wan Kenobi's brother who uh, calls him a crazy wizard out in the desert. And <laughs> so it, it, I, I wonder if it's sort of a nod to some of like that old... Uh, you know, early iterations of, of the Lucas uh, treatments for Star Wars, or if it's just something that they, they, they threw in there as just another like, moment to sort of connect Obi-Wan to Leia, because as Obi-Wan knows, but Leia doesn't know yet, she has a brother as well. So, you know, it, it could be a couple different things. It could be both things. Uh, but again, a nice moment, and our heroes are about to find themselves in another Imperial predicament as we come up to a checkpoint and things go a little hairy a little quickly here. Who are they? A couple of strays I found. Thought you might want to check them out. All right. So Frex sort of rats out Obi-Wan and Leia for having a dodgy story that doesn't quite jive with them. They call out, they don't like it. They call him out of the van, out of the back of the truck, excuse me. 
They order. They initiate a protocol, p- calling in the Imperial Pro Droids and do like some, some facial recognition scanning. And yeah, that Pro Droid comes in, and I really like the, the way that sequence is sort of shot with the, the stormtroopers barking at Kenobi to raise his head so that the 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 eye of the Pro Droid can capture his his full face on camera, and sort of at that moment when it zeroes in and, and identifies who he is, and Kenobi quick on the draw pulls his blaster out. Blows up the droid, starts shooting at stormtroopers, plugging stormtroopers. Great action sequence. This is our, sort of our first big action sequence for this episode of the show. And again, we're seeing how good Obi Obi Wan. Pretty darn good. The blaster. They make it. Uh, I don't know if they make it look easier. Blasters are just that darn efficient and easy to fire. But Kenobi's doing a pretty good job of plugging stormtroopers left and right. The one does rise up, take Leia hostage. And Obi Wan does like the fake, like yeah, yeah, I'm putting, I'm putting down my gun. Don't worry, gotcha, gotcha. I'm, I'm following orders. I'm complying. I'm complying. Boom, gets him, and Leia's done. Leia's free. Leia's free. Another great moment was when uh, Kenobi shoots the guard who's on top of the tower, and he falls down, and like that laser bridge kind of chops him in half. That was pretty cool too. Like that a bit. Uh, so Obi Wan goes to. to the other side of the guardrail. I don't know why they didn't steal Freck's truck, right? Like, so they knock out Freck, and I don't know why they don't don't get back in his truck and take off. That's gonna be better than going off foot, right? But it doesn't really matter uh, because a, a, a Imperial troop transport's coming up the other side, and uh, it's not gonna look good for Leia and Kenobi at this point. Get down! Get down on the ground! Put your head down. Come on. They'll have sent a transmission. We have to hurry. I'll take you the rest of the way. So little choice for Obi-Wan and Leia but to follow this Imperial officer who has just saved their lives from a gaggle, another gaggle of stormtroopers. And that is, of course, our, our, our first appearance of Indira Varma as uh, Tala Dorith. And, and as we will find out, she is an Imperial officer, but she's become disenfranchised with the Empire and is now attempting to aid people escape the clutches of the Empire. And we'll, talk, we'll get to that scene later and, and let her sort of explain thing there. But uh, yeah. A, a, a cool sequence, a good way for them to get out of trouble. Is like this is the as we will find out. This is the person. This was their contact. They were supposed to meet, but the arrival of the probe droids changed everything, and she was unable to meet them at the destination. So let's cut now back to Fortress Inquisitoris, as the probe droid has sent its information before Obi Wan was able to destroy it. We get a little bit of background on, on Mapuzo, and again, sort of like the one-upsmanship going on within the Inquisitors. Check it out. Mapuzo. It's a mining planet. Mid-rim type 2. You were right. He destroyed the probe. Signal came through before impact. We have a presence there? Full battery to strip operation Vitrium. I'll inform Lord Vader. He's already been informed. He was most appreciative. You want to take the credit, you go right ahead. But we both know who'll be standing by his side when this is over. Gather your battalions now and shut down every single 
court. Nobody goes in or out. Do you understand? Go. All right. So again, I, I still have to wonder if that's really truly the 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 motivation, Riva's motivation, right, to stand uh, by Vader's side as the Grand Inquisitor. And again, unless something's changed from the comic books. Uh, and, and even even the, the bits of Rebels where we see them, Vader's not like the biggest fan of the Inquisitors. Again, they're a tool for him. It's not like he is um, super enamored with the idea of, of, the, of these guys picking up his light work. You know, Vader wants to kill all the Jedi. He wants to kill them all. I stand by that. <laughs> so, I, I again, I think there's more going on with Reva's character than maybe we know. And, and hopefully we'll get to that point at, at soon. Uh, now we're cutting back to Mapuzo. Which you find out is being strip mined by the Empire, which doesn't sound good at all. So I don't know why Frex is a big fan, unless he's like from a big strip mining world himself. But yeah, let, let's kind of catch up with Obi Wan, Leia, and 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 Tala. She's going to kind of fill in some of the blanks. You know, we're not going to do that part. <laughs> I kinda, I pretty much explained all the good juicy stuff there. But let's get to the part where we're going to meet about we're going to learn about the path and what Tala's doing with with you know Jedi and people who are just trying to avoid the Empire. Right, this sort of like. Uh, you know, Star Wars Galaxy version of the Underground Railroad, getting people to safety away from from the Empire, um, because it's really really cool. So, you know, we go to the dro- the automated droid factory. We we meet Ned Eight, who sort of protects the entryway to the path. Very cool loader droid. He doesn't really communicate, um, but as as Tal- as Talus tells us, actions speak louder than words. Anyways, but. I want to sort of play the sequence here as as Obi Wan's learning learning about this because I think to Obi Wan this is this is sort of an important moment uh, because again remember Obi Wan's mind state you know he he's sort of coming from the, from this idea this notion that there's no hope in the galaxy that that hope has died when the when the Jedi fell when the Empire rose that that is all bleak and hopeless and and there's no point to it anymore uh, and then he he finds with 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 Tala and Leia about this 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 these people who are in the galaxy still trying to do good things, and again you call you know, let's call back to the first episode where you know he runs across that Jedi in the desert who's who talks to him about the fight and it was like the fight is over, and what he's learning right now is no the fight is not over it's not overt it's subtle it's beneath the surface it's real on you know on the DL. Uh, but the fight goes on. People are resisting the empire. A rebellion is brewing, and and these are these are really vital moments for Obi Wan. I think as a character, as a character on a journey to sort of again, we talked about the pendulum swing that he's on. He's at that low point still. He's got to get back to that upside. That the the momentum could stop right now, or he's going to keep going and shoot back up to the to the highs. He needs his hope restored. And I think this is one of those moments that kind of helps him, or ultimately will help him, get some of that hope back as he as he's seeing the etchings on the wall here uh, that lead to the path. This this the smugglers uh, again, sort of underground railroad for force sensitives, and 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 the undesirables that the Empire would rather have in custody or dead. What is this place? We have safe houses like this throughout the galaxy. Trying to link the systems. Some call it the path. You're not the first Jedi to come through here. It all leads to Jabim. 
from there we give them new identities and, and get them out. All right, Jabim, a place referenced before. We're getting a callback to something uh, that is uh, fairly significant, right? Uh, the Clone Wars era comics uh, was Jabim was a, was a, was a site of of some battles, right? Obi Wan, Anakin, Asajj Ventress all ended up there. They're doing some some serious things on Jabim. Uh, again, these are the sort of the old dark horse can uh, comic books, right? The, the ones that are no longer canon. Uh, and then there was a battle of Jabim in the Dark Horse Empire comic books that had to do with one of Luke Skywalker's friends who joined the Empire and advanced through the ranks. And the battle of Jabim was was really big in that Clone Wars and that Empire comic book. So the fact that Jabim's sort of like the safe haven at this era of the of the Empire's rise is is very very interesting. Now again, those those stories aren't canon anymore. That Clone Wars and Empire era stuff doesn't count. But the idea that Jabim is back, I think, is very very interesting. So let's go ahead and check out the rest of the sequence here as Leia and Obi Wan start checking out the various wall etchings uh, in the wood paneling here around the entrance to the path. There's a lot of good people risking their lives out there. Were they all Jedi? Not all. These days, the Empire hunts anyone who's Force-sensitive. Even children. What happens to them? We're not sure. No one ever sees them again. Quinlan was here. Yeah, he helps now and again. Smuggling younglings. What does it say? Only when the eyes are closed can you truly see. See what? The way. And again, it's sort of like this quick flicker, but Obi-Wan's recognition at, 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 at Quinlan Voss's name in, the, in there. It's this quick flicker of hope that that not all is lost. That the Jedi are still out there. That they are hiding. They are, but they are still active. Things are still going on. And while he's been sort of sulking and and full of despair, and and doubting himself and racked with guilt, that things are still happening. People are still trying to do good in the galaxy. And again, it's just a flicker. It's a quick moment. But it's to you, McGregor's credit as an actor that he conveys it so wonderfully in like this quick flash of his eyes, this sort of moment where light fills them. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really well done. And, and it's, uh, it just gets you. And again, you all know if listeners of this podcast know what a fan I am of Quinlan Voss. So pretty cool stuff. Now I did not dig these. I, you know, I am not the guy who goes around and translate Orabesh. Uh, so I can find like all the all the stuff. I wait for the internet to do that for me. So as as is such, another name that gets that that is recognized in Orabesh by the internet is the name Raganda Ismarin, which oof, this is a, this, for me. This is a rough piece of old expanded universe canon. There was a book back in the day called Children of the Jedi by Barbara Hambly that I hated so so much. <laughs> the the Barbara Hambly books were not my cup of tea in the old expanded EU. And the Raganda Ismarin character is a, is a Force-sensitive former consort of Emperor Palpatine. And she would have a, uh, a son who would become a, a one-off villain in the New Jedi Order books called Lord Nyax. It's best forgotten, to be fair. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> best forgotten. Another name that's been translated is uh, is Din Altis. Another uh, relatively, uh, again, just from uh, let's put it this way, from the same book, from the from the children of the children of the Jedi. Uh, and was a leader of a Jedi splinter group, the Altasian Jedi, all right? And they believed that the members of the Order should be able to have, like, multiple apprentices, they should be allowed to marry, and uh, was a mentor to a character named Kalista that was a, a, a romantic interest of Luke Skywalker's, again, in this Children of the Jedi book, which I think is not very good. But that's just my opinion, and if you disagree with me, that's A-okay, too. Another name. Now, this one's more exciting. This one is more exciting. A, a, again, also from the Legends era, from the old EU. Another name translated in the Orbesh is Valen Halcyon, which was the code name of Hal Horn, a, a former Padawan who was hidden during the Purge. Hal Horn, why is he important? Well, he would go and have a son who would become a Jedi Knight in the old EU by the name of Corrin Horn, the former C-Sec officer and X-Wing pilot who would star in the iJedi novel after being in the X-Wing books by Aaron Alston and then Michael Stackpole. Uh, actually, I think it was mostly the Stackpole ones than the, than the Aaron Alstons. But it one of, became one of my favorite characters when I was a kid uh, as Corrin as, as Horn was awesome. And he would marry a smuggler whose dad had stolen a Star Destroyer. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. It was a lot of fun. But to, to, to come across that in the translations when I, was look, when I was looking those up on the internet was uh, pretty cool. So the idea that somewhere out there maybe Cornhorn exists in the new canon uh, I think is really, really rad. Again, these could just be fun Easter eggs, but the idea that they exist out there, that, that the writers and the, and the producers and the people who are doing these, building these sets are including these things is just really, really awesome, and I loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, now there's going to be a knock at the door. Some stormtroopers are going to come in. They want to question the droid. We see Ned 8. He's going to have like a hammer behind his back. Like if these stormtroopers get too close, we're going to start um, – I'm going to start slapping some, some stormtroopers with these things. Uh, but no, no, no. Ned 8 will not sell them out. He is loyal to the soil, if you know what I'm saying. So after the stormtroopers arrive and, and, and leave, uh, Tala is concerned that they are compromised. It is time to get off planet now. So they're not going to wait for the, 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 the ship, the pilot, to kind of be like, oh, now we can go. No, no, no. It's time to, time to move up the timetable. And, and it's time to rush Obi-Wan and Leia out the door. But it leads to a, a telling moment uh, as, as Tala sort of reveals why she's helping them. She'll make a good fighter one day. Yes, I think you might be right. Why do you do this? Risk everything? I joined up when the Empire stood for something. By the time I realized what they really were, it was too late. I made some mistakes. We all did. I can't imagine Obi-Wan Kenobi doing anything wrong. It's just Ben these days. Well, Tala. Come on, this will take us out. All right, so they got to go to the move here. But guess what? People are coming. So this next sequence, as, as Ben feels something, right? Like, again, a disturbance in the forest, perhaps. Like, again, his, his, his perhaps limited contact. Uh, you know, I maybe he's more engaged with the force than I'm giving him credit for because when Vader slash Anakin Skywalker arrives on Mapuzo, uh, ben feels it in a, in a way that he's probably not felt the force in some time. Uh, so he goes to the, the slotted door to the droid, automated droid room, 
and he witnesses the arrival of his former Padawan, his former best friend, the man he thought he killed on Mustafar. Darth Vader arrives in the town, and it is a sequence like nothing we've seen on Star Wars before. You know, the dramatic tension here ratchets up insanely as Vader walks his way through this town with Ben peering out the window. And then the moment when... And now, I, again, this is, this is my interpretation of the scene. If you disagree, that's okay. I'd love to hear what you think. But, you know, people hear that Vader's coming. They all go to hide, right? They, they don't want to be in his eyesight, in his, in his, the, in his mind, his, his eye line at all. They don't not they but but they can't risk not they they want to see the they want to see the Dark Lord of the Sith right, but they don't want to be seen by the Dark Lord of the Sith. So my interpretation of this is though is that he knows that Kenobi is here in the town, and so he attempts to draw Kenobi out by hurting these people by killing these people, and it is again it is a scene just ratcheted with up with tension as he's force choking people, dragging people through the streets, snapping necks with a look. Uh, it is it is a Vader, the likes of which we've not seen much of in, in live action. Um, and it's it's terrifying. You know, we we all remember the quote that, that you and McGregor gave us a few weeks back before the show debuted about the first time that he saw Hayden, Hayden Christensen come on set in the, in the Darth Vader suit and kind of, you know, track him down and make his way towards him and how Obi-Wan, or, and, I'm sorry, Ewan McGregor sort of became a seven-year-old boy again, seeing Darth Vader for the first time in the theater and just being full of dread and terror. That is what this scene is creating, my friends. This scene is that. And again, Ewan McGregor, his facial reactions, his body language, the sort of terror that he feels as he's watching, again, his former friend do these horrendous actions is really, really powerful stuff. Um, and it's at this point, too, that he has to try and urge Tala to take Leia to the rendezvous, to get her off planet, get her back to Alderaan, and Ben will try to lead them away, try to lead Vader and the Inquisitors away so they can make their escape, and Leia can be reunited with her family. Uh, that's one of the things we sort of we, we, we did sort of skip over uh, on our on our recap thus far is is that part where Leia is apologizing to Ben for for running away from the palace for getting kidnapped uh, and now that she misses home and she just wants to go back because again, again remember for as 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 mature and and, and sort of um, sassy and and, and uh, precocious as as Leia is still a child still wants to be back with her adopted mother and father so it was a really powerful scene as Ben is sort of, sort of trying to absolve her of any guilt for. Uh, for getting kidnapped, right? For for leaving the palace and, and having these terrible things happen. Because again, she was a pawn. She was kidnapped to smoke him out. Uh, and, and Ben knows that. And, and Leia knows that too, but she's a kid. And she's sort of succumbing to um, the fatigue of this life on the run. Uh, so uh, again, really wonderful moments these characters have in this episode. Uh, uh, and now Ben, Obi-Wan, is going gonna, is gonna to try and get Leia reunited with her parents by distracting Darth Vader, by distracting the Inquisitors. Uh, but the Inquisitors, by the way, under strict orders not to pursue. This is Vader's hunt. This is Vader's fight. And he wants Kenobi for himself. All right, let's just get into it. Uh, there's only so much we can play that works on a podcast as far as the audio goes, but you know the tension, you know the scene. 
let's just show off what Deborah Chow did here uh, as Vader and Kenobi engage for the first time in since Return of the or excuse me since Revenge of the Sith. And really, let me highlight it one more time: the way Deborah Chow shoots the sequence. Awesome, really great stuff. So, again, that's that first moment, the eye contact, the, the, the fear, the doubt, the, the questioning, all of it. It's all right there on Obi-Wan's face. His reluctance, he pulls his lightsaber, holds it in his hands, refuses to activate it. He can't do this again. He's not prepared for this at all. And Vader standing there, all he wants is for Obi-Wan to do something, anything, as Vader stands there, stares him down, unmoving unflinching, waiting to, for the chance to kill his former master. And then Obi-Wan darts away. And, and again, Vader's sort of unreadable, but we just saw how powerful Vader is, right? Like Vader, this is, this is Vader sort of at, at his pinnacle, right? Like he is forced up, ready to go. And, and again, Obi-Wan at his low point, not prepared for any of this, was not prepared to engage his former his former apprentice his best friend and and uh vader knows vader i think realizes now he's gonna have to force him into that confrontation and vader using his suit's natural blackness well uh will will move around in the shadows move move around in the dark to gain the upper hand on obi-wan in these battles in these confrontations uh in these engagements and i thought i noticed or detected a sort of a similarity, a sort of callback, if you will, to Empire Strikes Back with Luke's first encounter with Vader, the way sort of Vader sort of taunts him, the way sort of Vader sort of moves around the room without Luke being able to really do much about it. Uh, you know, again, Obi-Wan extremely, but the difference is Obi-Wan's extremely reluctant to engage. In Empire, Luke is far too excited to engage, thinking that he can defeat Vader right here, right now, and not realizing how unprepared he is. Again, Obi-Wan completely unprepared for this fight and I, th I think very very much believes that there's no chance that he's going to win this battle at all obi-wan a man who's now been struggling for 10 years to uh to regain some sort of sense of self a sense of confidence a sense of belief that 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 he did the right things at the time just again uh for for 10 years he's let his skills diminish and it's going to show in this confrontation here uh as they work their way through this 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 uh, strip mine area here on Mapuzo. You cannot run, anyone. Again, the, the, 
the look on Ewan's face, on Obi-Wan's face, as he's moving around the shadows, looking to make sure, you know, he's going in like a 360-degree pattern here, seeing where Vader's going to attempt to get the drop on him. We're only illuminated by Kenobi's lightsaber at this point, the blue glow of his blade, and it's fantastic. It looks so great. It looks so good. And then as Vader will engage his red blade, and... Chow makes the decision to pull the cameras back at a certain point, and we've just seen the blades go at each other. And again, not well, because Vader's style is, again, more brute force at this point because of his uh, limitations as, as part man, part machine. Uh, but again, Kenobi with a different skill set as well, not prepared for this encounter, not prepared for this engagement. Um, but yeah, it's it's listen as they, as they begin to engage with each other, and, and Vader kind of throws some sick burns into Kenobi's face. Uh, it's not just it's not just Uncle Owen that throws out burns nowadays. What have you become? I am what you made me. So Ben ducks, turns off the blade, runs again. Vader in hot pursuit. Meanwhile, the Inquisitors are rounding up the citizens of, of this town in, on Mapuzo. Uh, and Reva wants to get involved. But again, Fifth Brother will remind everyone, no, no, no. We have been given strict orders. This is not our fight. But Reva sees an opportunity here. She sees the, the, the Net 8 droid leaving. And something, something that, that, that hits something with her, right? She perceives something, whether through the Force or through sort of the... Uh, just randomness of this droid leaving this base, leaving this 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 um, room, kind of randomly as these people are being rounded up by the Empire, and she's able to find everything. She finds the secret entrance way to the entrance way to the path. She finds the carvings on the wall for the Jedi Order, for the Republic, all all this symbolism that that upsets her, that it, it evokes rage in her, uh, and somehow she's going to be able to get the drop. On, on Leia Organa, who will appeal to Tala to go back and help Ben. Leia knows that, that Ben can't handle this fight. He's not prepared for this fight, uh, and it's a, it's a losing proposition. So she will appeal to Tala, who will eventually relent, because Leia promises to just you know, she's going to go. She's going to go. She's going to get to the rendezvous. She's going to go to the ship. But Tala has to go back and bring Ben, uh, and Tala will relent and, and do just that. But somehow Reva's gotten ahead, has you know either... I don't know exactly how Reva figures out whether it's it's through some sort of force intuition, or she sort of might has an idea of where this tunnel's going to come out to. Uh, she gets a drop, kills the pilots who are going to shuttle them off world, and yeah, Leia looks like Leia goes to make a run for it. But I, I sort of suspect Leia is going to get captured here pretty easily, as there's only really two ways to go in this tunnel system that leads to the to the port. But yeah, it's not looking good. So let's let's go ahead and cut back in to uh, Master Kenobi here as, as things are going to go sideways for him real, real quick. So everything's happening really quickly. We're cutting back and forth between the tunnels, between Vader and Kenobi, uh, uh, between Reva making her move, finding the path, and all this stuff. It, it's, again, the tension's really great. The music's really great. The, the score on this, on this episode has been f- fantastic for ratcheting up that tension, for really elevating the stakes here. Uh, so you're, you're, by this point, like, your heart's probably pumping out your chest like mine was. Uh, and then this moment here, they get into like one of these mining areas here on on Mapuzo, uh, and 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 Vader is going to grab Kenobi in the Force choke, lifts him off the ground, 
uh, it's again i just want you to listen listen to the music listen to the tension listen to kenobi gra- uh, gasp for breath It's at this point in the show that I lost my mind. Vader igniting the that 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 mineral that they are mining on the planet, causing these flames to erupt, and then him throwing Obi-Wan's body into the fire. And then in a moment when he drags him further into the fire and we just hear Obi-Wan Kenobi burning alive. Oh boy. Your pain has just begun. All right, this is when Tala arrives on the ridge and, and the stormtroopers are going to come up from Vader's rear. And again, this is not about killing Kenobi quickly. That was never the plan here. As Vader says, the suffering has just begun. Your pain has just begun. And think about that. You know, get into Vader's head about that a little bit. You know, we know so much about the man under the mask now from the prequels, from the Clone Wars cartoon. Uh, and, and to be in this place, to be so ravaged by the dark side, to be so consumed by the dark side of the Force, that, you're, that you're, your former best friend, a man that you bled with, that you fought these battles with, you are now willing to, to torture for the rest of his days to sort of ease your own suffering, to, to, to give retribution, the, the, perce- the perception of retribution for the wrongs that were committed against you by this man. You're, again, the perceived wrongs, uh, because everyone's the hero in their own story, right? And Vader's no different. Uh, it, it, this is like a different level of sadisticness that we've seen from than, than what we've seen from Darth Vader to this point, right? You know, everything with Vader uh, pr- prior to this has been quick. It's been fast. It's been merciless. Uh, and this is merciless as well, but this is slow, arduous, painful suffering. Uh, this is this is the dark side encapsulated in one figure in a way that we've not seen before, and it is intense to the extreme. Uh, but again, Tala's here. The stormtroopers are going to go because again, again, Vader's not wanting to kill Kenobi. This suffering has to be drawn out for as long as humanly possible. So Vader extinguishes the flames that he's ignited, and he wants the stormtroopers to go get him. Tala goes to shoot the first one, causes another explosion, reignites the flames, and sends Ned 8 to go rescue Kenobi. Uh, and Vader watches it happen. Vader realizes that he has... Again, I think, I think Vader's prepared to sort of let this game play out a little bit because there's nowhere to go. The Empire has his planet on lockdown. Uh, so he doesn't pursue through the flames. And I also sort of wonder if Vader might have some sort of proclivity of for fire. Like, maybe he's not all that enthralled about jumping back into a, a, a burning field of anything. I, I could be imagining that. I could be suppositioning that. But it, it's, it's, it, 
just something, food for thought. But honestly, what I really think is happening is here. He knows they're not going anywhere. There's no escape. So why not let this play out? Why not find the people who've been aiding Kenobi at this point? Get them all caught. Kill them all. And, and extinguish any hope of rebellion, any hope of this, this path that's been saving Force-sensitive children and younglings and, and things like that. You know, let's, let's, let's round them all up. And, if it, and as long as I still get, get Kenobi, more the better. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting the way it plays out. And again, it seems like Leia's been caught at this point. So things look really, really bleak at this point in the, in the show. Um, <laughs> and let's kind of, you know, let's, let's kind of get back to how it all ends here. Uh, because it ain't good, but let's wrap up with the, let's wrap up a review with these these final closing moments of the episode. Don't be afraid. Come closer. Are you the one I'm supposed to meet? Unfortunately, they couldn't make it, but I'll take you from here. So again, Leia takes off to run away from Reva, but Reva in hot pursuit, and uh, maybe she'll do a better job catching a kid than Flea did in episode one. Just a thought. <laughs> but holy smokes, what a, just a, a, a freight train of an episode. And it just it's, it's so darn enjoyable. You know, we're getting... It's hitting us in, a, in an emotional place in, in a way that a lot of other things in Star Wars haven't. And this show is, is being, I, you know, I talked about it before. Uh, I'm going to say it again, so I apologize for kind of repeating myself a little bit here. But it's, it's sort of like this, the adult, mature Star Wars show I've kind of been itching for. And it hits on so many great places for me. So I've really, really enjoyed a lot of these, a lot of these elements to it. And I know there have been some criticism that there's not much of a narrative arc for our characters thus far. And again, I, I, I sort of addressed that earlier, how everything uh, that we're experiencing through Ewan, through Obi-Wan, is, is through his acting, through his body language, through his facial expressions, through like the little bits of tidbits, tidbits of information that he's dropping here and there. Uh, I think we're going to get that narrative point across soon enough. Uh, I think right now we're just getting like a showcase in, in subtle acting, real honestly. I mean, we, we, it, again, it's a simple enough story. Uh, we're not, we're not, we're not reinventing the wheel with this. Vader wants revenge. Obi Wan wanted to stay hiding, watching over Luke, has been called out to rescue Leia. It's, it's all pretty straightforward. And, and, and on that note, it's very Star Wars, and that's why it's kind of perfect. So I, I, I don't subscribe to anybody who's, you know, saying there's quote unquote no narrative journey here for the characters. That relax. Three episodes in, we got three to go. I think we're gonna get plenty of narrative by the end of it, and, and, and no the hows and whys, that everyone's doing what they're doing and what's going on here. So relax. Just let the show play out. Let's see where we go. Let's see where we go. Let's see where we go. Love this episode. Fan-freaking-tastic. So many great things in this one. It's so awesome. It's so, so awesome. All right. Earlier in the show, I mentioned there was a... I I, kind of put it out there because, uh, you know, I've mentioned it before. This, this show, I will not be able to do day and date releases uh, because my work schedule's changed. Uh, so I will not be able to do, I will not be able to watch the show and record a podcast for the episode in the same day. So odds are this show will come out on, on uh, the show drops on Wednesday. Our podcast review will come out 
hopefully on Thursday, but Friday at the very, very latest. Uh, so that'll give us a little bit of time to let things breathe a little bit, which is kind of which may may work out well. But yeah, I, I can't do Wednesday watch Wednesday release right now because of work, unfortunately. So hopefully the show will uh, this podcast will maintain its Wednesday sh- for the show, Thursday for the podcast release schedule. But that being said, I want to put a big old asterisk because in two weeks I have jury duty, and that could ruin everything. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie; I don't think I can sit in that jury waiting room and record a podcast, at least not a productive one. So we'll see how it goes. I'll keep you all posted on that. Uh, but because today we're doing things a little bit differently, I went on social media uh, several hours before I was recording the show just to see if there was anything anyone wanted to kind of get into. Uh, and and Josh Gaines at at Real Josh Gaines wrote in and asked. Why are all recent Star Wars shows kidnapping plots? Grogu, Omega, Leah, is there nothing else? This is a very valid point. <laughs> uh, this is, again, I agree with this question. I like the idea, the spirit of the question. Uh, I, but I think, I think if I were to answer this question, and again, I, don't not, I do not work for Lucasfilm. I do not work for Star Wars. Uh, and maybe I'm a bit of a Star Wars apologist in the, in the sense that I'm going to try and and explain away these kidnapping plots. I think with Omega, it's a case of Omega ran away from the people who, you know, kind of quote unquote, possess her, the, the Kaminoans. Uh, and she is sort of property of the Kaminoans and, and whatever they're attempting to do with their genetic research. So her getting kidnapped back from the Bad Batch was sort of connected to that. Uh, Grogu, sort of the same thing. Again, had been kidnapped prior was trying to be reacquired. <laughs> and, and you know, that's sort of like one of the great unknowns about the Mandalorian, right? Is like, how did those, those, uh, those, uh, um, it wasn't traditions. It was, uh, Clint, Clint, no, it wasn't those either. I don't know. I can't remember what species it was that had him in the first episode that, that, uh, Din Djarin went to go get him for, from the, with, from, for the client with the bounty pucks. Uh, it, so, so who took, Grogu from the Empire. How'd that come to be? When are we going to get those answers on that part of the plot for that story? So I'm, I'm, the, the sort of chain of custody, quote-unquote, for Grogu is questionable. There's a lot of things we still don't know about that. Apparently, Grogu's been kidnapped multiple times. So, But there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of explaining to do with Grogu. Uh, so I'm going to kind of leave that one sort of unanswered because I still want some information on, on, on that whole situation. Klaatuinians, that's who I was thinking of. The Klaatuinians are the ones who uh, Din Djarin killed a lot of with IG-11 in the first episode to sort of rescue Grogu before he could return him back to Werner Herzog. Uh, and then as far as the Leia plot goes for kidnapping, again, I understand the you know the, the, the trope of the kidnapping to sort of spark the plot is, is getting a little tiresome, but I'm, I'm, I, I guess what I'm sort of trying to say in response is that like, at least for each one, it's sort of brought about by different motivations, right? Like Omega ran away. She's viewed as property by the Kaminoans. Grogu is a former Jedi or Pad- Padawan at the very, probably very least, or youngling, I suppose. Youngling's probably more accurate. Uh, and has, has, again, been in multiple, multiple, multiple hands, it, it seems like at this point. Uh, but we have questions to be answered there. I, I still, I don't know why more people aren't asking how he fell into the hands of the Klaatuinians in that first episode. What was going on there? Who orchestrated these things? Um, 
unless I'm, unless I'm forgetting some element here, but I don't think I, I don't think uh, I had my stroke just yet. Uh, so I don't think I'm forgetting anything for that. This with Leia, and again, I understand kidnapping by large. We're talking about the same thing, but Leia's a pawn. Leia's being been, has been kidnapped to 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 draw out Kenobi from hiding. They're playing on his relationship to Bail Organa, and 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 some uh, like a sympathetic Kenobi will come out of hiding to go rescue the daughter of Bail Organa. Uh, again, you're not wrong. The tr- the trope is a little tired. It's a little. It's getting a little, a lot of tread, or the tread's wearing thin, I should say, uh, for these Star Wars shows. I would like to see sort of like the the, the inciting incident be something a little bit more, a little bit different, a little bit more um, on the other side of the wheel, if you will. Uh, but at the very least, we could, I think we can take some comfort uh, in in, the, in that it's not exactly identical every single time. It, it is sort of it, it's sort of plot based, right? <laughs> and again, I, I but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. We're we're doing we're using kidnapping a lot here. It, it's sort of like uh, that 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 period of time. And I want to say this goes back to the '80s, but it, it might even go back beyond that. But but sort of like that 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 trope where like it, they did this a lot in comic books, where like the the hero's girlfriend would be murdered, and that would spur the hero on to great things and onto great action against overwhelming villainy. Uh, but all these women were being murdered to give these ca- these male characters more agency, and and that's something that, that gratefully we've gotten away from in in the comic book field and in movies and other things like that. But it seems like it seems like Star Wars inciting incident a lot of times is, is is kidnapping at this point, and we do need to break away from that. We do need to kind of get into things a little bit more organically, uh, and and it, 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 there are ways to do that. And the storytelling, the storytellers that Star Wars has, I think, are are capable of doing these things, and we we just have to kind of. Give them a little bit. I want to give them a little bit more leash, <laughs> a little bit more rope, before I I, I I kind of come after them again. Like again, I don't think kidnapping is going to be the issue on Andor. I don't think kidnapping is going to be an issue on the Acolyte. I could be wrong. I don't think kidnapping is going to be an, an issue on Ahsoka, which is shaping to be like a Rebels uh, sort of like sequel show. And and we will definitely talk about Rebels and Ahsoka soon. My goodness, there are so many things to talk about from that, but we haven't had time to get into it just yet. But we will. So yeah, I, I, I want to take these things on a case-by-case basis. That's sort of my suggestion and recommendation. And I, I hope uh, my, my way of breaking it down works for you, Josh Gaines. Thank you for, for uh, tweeting at me, though. That was, that was exciting. That was fun. And, and by all means, if, y'all can, if you're interested, tweet at me. We'll, we'll talk about it on the show. We'll answer your questions and get into your theories and opinions on the show, too. So I'm, I'm going to try and remember to do these kind of tweets the day I record. Uh, so that we can get some feedback, get some interest going, get, get, a, get a different branch of conversation happening, all right? Woo! We went long on this one. This one went really, really in-depth. Uh, <laughs> so I hope you've still listened and and uh, I have enjoyed the show. Thank you for being here. New listeners, welcome aboard. Hope you enjoyed uh, the in-depth review, the perspective I'm trying to bring. Uh, again, this is a welcome, welcoming Star Wars place, all walks of life. You're welcome here. Uh, artificial intelligence, droids, you're welcome as well. We, we do serve your kind here, okay? Uh, this, is, this is my Star Wars podcast, and, and I'm so glad that new listeners, old listeners, everyone's going to come on board. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a lot of fun. This is Mandavision. My name is Tom, and I thank you once again for checking this small independent 
and awesome Star Wars podcast. Please reach out to us. It's on social media. We're at Mando underscore Vision, Twitter, Instagram. Email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you are liking, subscribing, sharing, and following the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If you want to support the show with some sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews, that would be awesome. Thank you so much in advance for doing that. We truly, truly appreciate it. It helps us in our battle against the algorithm and to make sure that we don't get lost in the shuffle of the 345 billion Star Wars podcasts that exist out there. But we're so glad you're here, and that's all that matters. Uh, If you are interested in becoming an official MandoVision Maniac, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash MandoVision. You can join the Maniacs, gain access to sweet, sweet, sweet bonus content, new episode coming probably tomorrow. <laughs> Hopefully, fingers crossed. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman Abejo, Jeff Nail. Jeff, co-host of Regan a great music podcast. Check them out. Evil Circle, thank you to you, sir. You are the evilest of all circles. The Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard, the New Jersey Devil, Mark Wagamer, our very own Joker and Harley Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pride Brewing Company here in San Diego and Baltimore, Maryland. The Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops, the silent assassin, he who shall not be named, and Syndicate Ram, co-host of Come On, It's Still Good. Thank you all so, so much for the support, and hope you look forward to that new episode. Hope you, hope, hope you check out that new episode that we're dropping on the Patreon tomorrow. It's, it's, we, get, we get silly. Let's put it that way. We get silly on that one. I'm talking about Moon Knight. Oh, boy. All right. So you know we're going to be back next week for Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 4. It's going to be fire. Oh, wait. Too soon. Too soon for Obi-Wan to be on fire. Woo! All right. Hopefully, Obi-Wan gets some back-to-patches at the very least for next week because uh, he's got to get that, that fighting arm in good shape again. Uh, woo! All right. Lot to get, lot to get into. Lots to look forward to. We'll be back very, very soon. Remember, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. You expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way.